You know, Johnny Neal, few people know this about me, but uh, for a while, I considered a career as a stripper. Well, you know, I'm glad that you brought that up because I wondered. Are you? Yeah, I I, I think that's a great way to break the ice. I wondered who was going to have to bring up our our new format. Do you want me to go ahead and make the announcement? I, I think you should go ahead and make the announcement. Well, I just I thought that since Playboy is no longer going to have nudity, mm-hmm. I thought our our listeners would be happy to know that you and I are taking up the slack, and from now yes. on, we're doing a completely nude podcast, an all nude Blu-ray and DVD review show. Uh, Welcome to the new digital noise. And, and I must say, Brian, you look fantastic. Oh, thank you. you, you I'm very oily. You're, you're looking. You are strapping. I so oily. I am. Uh, the new 52, and that's not a Super Friends reboot <laughs> concept. I am, you know, there's no like 40 is the new 30. Once you hit 52, right. it's like you, you're you just 52. But you still look great, and I welcome you all to this first episode of the Digital Boys. No, we're, I, we're not. We're not. You know what? I will remember to bring a towel to sit on next week. And you know what else you need to remember to bring? No. Beer. I knew you were going to say that. everybody, welcome to Digital Noise. This is, of course, the Blu-ray and DVD review show that will always leave you with a great case of the blues. I am your host, Brian Salisbury, and joining me, as per usual, is my good friend, Mr. Johnny Neal. Hello! Johnny Neal looking slightly less wounded than the last time I saw you. You're gonna, you're gonna get that thing off soon. Next week! Next yeah. week, I... I, I, should, I should tell people I'm talking about the cast on your arm, otherwise it just arm. sounds filthy given our yeah. intro. <laughs> I'm going to get that off next get week. Get that off next I'm week. I'm going to really build it up. Mm. Mm-hmm. You got you to gotta get the easy one off first, and yeah. then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, then starts the uh, physical therapy, if you know what I'm saying. You know, you can make anything dirty. You, if you really just, can, if especially you just, on a podcast. Yeah. Yeah, people yeah. just expect it. Especially if they already think you're nude. Hey, and if you expect more filthiness from us, you should check out our back catalog episodes on Stitcher as well as on iTunes. You can also Oh, Stitcher, I barely know her. Uh, you can also <laughs> follow us on Twitter at DigiNoiseCast. It's D-I-G-I NoiseCast. And you can like the website on Facebook, facebook.com slash oneofusnet. Please do consider becoming a subscriber. That's how we afford all the banana hammocks necessary to turn this in to a male entertainment review review i am amazed that you are not reading that off of a cue card right it's not written on your arm nope. you're just running through that. It. you're running through that um, like like an announcer this may not be my first rodeo i may have been doing this for far too long yeah, in fact I, if you ask anyone who doesn't like me they will tell you i've been doing this for far too long I, but i thought maybe you were a rodeo clown before now you're <laughs> actually <laughs> This is not my first rodeo in the barrel. Now you're in the Johnny saddle, Neal. baby. I'm in the saddle instead of in the barrel. From rodeo clown to rodeo king. I don't know going what's going on. for that whole eight seconds. If, if this podcast was only eight seconds long, it would make our week so much easier. But that is not the case. In fact, this show is going to be a little bit shorter because I plum forgot to do a letterbox this week. Dang. Sorry about that, guys. But I also actually have to dash off to another recording after this. So it actually works out pretty well. So we're just going to dive into the reviews. Are we starting high or are we starting low? Um, I guess that depends on your definition, Johnny. <laughs> I think we're starting with one you didn't get a chance to see, or maybe you did. I don't know. Which one? 
Magic Mike XXL. I did not. I did not okay. get to watch it. So and I never saw the first one, so I don't oh, think Johnny I would have known what was going on. Johnny Neal. Johnny Neal. Johnny Neal. Magic Mike was one of the biggest surprises for me. Soderbergh. I, I and I should have known. I, I mean, I should have trusted him, but it's like really, strippers, Channing And this, like, when they first announced it, was before. I had kind of turned around on Channing Tatum. And when they first announced the movie was also before the McConaissance. So when that first trailer hit, it's like, this looks like nothing I want to see. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I, I forgot he was even involved. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And so that movie turned out to be a lot of fun and at the same time had a real emotional core to it and characters that you could actually connect with, even though they can't connect with their own buttons because they keep flying off. That's the brilliance of Soderbergh. He can get a great performance out of anyone, and he can give you characters that you will care about no matter what their station in life, no matter their occupation, no matter whether in normal circumstances you would ever talk to that person. Isn't that really where it is yeah. now? I mean, like, I watch a movie, and if I don't believe the characters, or if I, if I just, I can tell you if that character existed before the movie happened. You right. know, like, like, uh, when the camera started rolling, that was when that character... There's no backstory that is right. ever going to tell me that's how this guy got here. There's and no depth. There's everything. no dimension. But in this case, in the f case of the first Magic Mike, the, it definitely was depth. There definitely was um, dimension. And I will say, because of that, because of how much I ended up really enjoying Magic Mike, I was super pumped for the sequel. In fact, the tr I watched the trailer for the sequel so many times... Because the trailer had this weird Rambo quality, where it was like, Channing Tatum is obviously left the life of, of being a stripper, and in the trailer you see him like, the music is trying to pull him back in and he's trying to resist it, but he can't, because as Gloria Esteban once said, the rhythm is going to get you. Oh, that's awesome. It is going to get you. So I was super excited for this movie. I mean, you add in the fact that uh, you have actors like Donald Glover uh from community really? jumping in here yeah in the first one or in the no in just in this one. Oh wow um and i was like wow it, there's a lot of interesting things going on but it is of course directed by someone else is directed by a guy named gregory jacobs whose career i'm not terribly familiar with he hasn't directed much and and mcconaughey's not in it and mcconaughey is not in it they do come up with a storyline where basically he fucked everybody over and and left the company which is convenient because he also took with him anyone else that isn't in this movie oh. very convenient device and yeah, this isn't like a sequel to that movie that we reviewed earlier with Vinnie Jones and uh, oh my god checkmate Michael Madsen. <laughs> it, it is not um, however my 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 affinity for this movie will not be much higher uh, oh. than checkmate the problem is that you remember that thing we were talking about how we should have trust or I should have trusted Soderbergh from the beginning and that Soderbergh is really what made the first one is painfully evident when you watch oh, the sequel wow. because it becomes so generic so fast and the entire emotional crux of the character of Mike is completely lost and it just feels standard to the point of being substandard mm. and it's just it you know they go through a lot of motions and the one thing I will say uh, the first one I I love Channing Tatum's an amazing fucking dancer. Like, well, okay. I'm not talking about his grinding ability. I'm talking about his actual moves. They are fucking phenomenal. You have seen the Hail Caesar trailer, haven't you? I have seen the Hail oh, Caesar yeah. trailer. That's yeah. like, yes. Okay, can I just pat myself on the back for saying I've thought that guy was great since the first time I saw him? Yeah, you were, you were right movie, and we were all wrong. In a little movie called A Guide to Recognizing Your Saints. Oh, he was you great in that. that. Yeah. yeah. 
I was like, who is this I almost guy? forgot he was in that. Yeah, he was the guy. He was the guy who kind of got screwed over for yeah. Shia LaBeouf, who grew up to be Robert Downey Jr. You were right. We were all wrong. I'm, I'm perfectly yeah, happy you, to you commit that to audio so that it's recorded, and then there's a record of it. Fine, Johnny Neal. Has, your, has your ego took, been placated for another day? It took a while to catch up. That's all I'm saying is I've been invested in him for a long time. You are a Channing Tatum hipster. That's I get it. I get exactly <laughs> oh, yeah. what you're saying. You liked him before he was cool. Well, I, get it. I mean, he's my motivational... Uh, workout poster right yeah, right <laughs> god damn um but that's the thing is in this movie i was like okay the story right from the get-go i was like well this story isn't grabbing me but at least maybe it'll be like a step up movie which ironically he was in the first step up movie um where it's like yeah the story who cares but the dancing is amazing to watch unfortunately it's not Really, the dancing is even is there really genetic. So much you can well, get out of it. Yeah, I mean, and like the actual sequences, nobody's doing anything that is respectable on a level of uh, performance. It's just a lot of grinding. Like it's it's uh. just the kind of thing that you would see in an actual strip club, which I know is a weird complaint to have. But when the first movie really had this, like the whole thing about the first movie is that the club where he worked prided itself on really delivering these big magnificent showpieces and not just dudes waving their dogs around and this movie seems content to be a more low rent version of that club where everything is just like this really um sort of salacious kind of half attempt at being shocking and it's like no we're already invested in a movie about male strippers like you're not going to shock us to stop trying focus on being um, spectacular in the moves that these people are making. And unfortunately, that goes completely by the wayside in this movie. Was it perhaps not made for you? Well, but you, you could say the same about the first one, and I loved the first except one. Except that, well, okay, except that I think that Steven Soderbergh is kind of universal. It's kind of like, I mean, he might not, he doesn't exploit his his own material. He no. tells very honest stories. True. And if that's a story that you're willing to hear, you're not going to be lied to. Right. You know what I'm saying? And it, Whereas yeah. this one sounds like they they sold you a bill of goods. They, they really they, did. They made, they made a cheap knockoff of their own original cheap, product. Cheap to the point that it's a Save the Rec Center movie, except that at the end, the competition isn't even a competition. They're on their way to this stripper convention. I guess I should talk a little bit about the plot. Mike gets dragged back to, back into the life just when he thought he was out. What they was he pulled doing him back. Head? He was he was uh, designing furniture. He was oh. a, a furniture designer, and his girlfriend uh, from the end of the first movie has left with no explanation whatsoever. It's just like they talk about how he proposed to her, and she was like, "Oh, I want something else." And then, but they don't get into that until later in the movie. Like you don't even really know she's gone. For the first little bit, so there's this scene where he's like kind of trying to hook up with this girl, and it's really awkward because it's like we haven't firmly established that she's gone, and then later he says that she's gone. But okay, so his life is kind of in shambles, and his uh, his old you know banana hammock buddies uh, are are coming through town on their way to a um, a stripper convention, uh, and they have kind of invested everything they have in in you know, getting themselves established because Dallas played by Matthew McConaughey is left and taken kind of fuck them over. So the whole time there's like, you know, the montages and we're training and we're trying to get better and we're learning about ourselves on the way. So it's, it's like a typical save the Rex and her movie. But when they get there, 
the MC literally just casually throws out, now, you all know this isn't a competition, but I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The fuck? It's not a competition? No, there's no prize. There's money. no stakes in this movie. It's just a, sh- a convention. There are no stakes whatsoever in this movie, and especially not emotionally, because they found an actress who looks exactly like the actress in the first movie to play the new love interest. Wow. So it's like, uh, I don't understand what I'm supposed to be taking from this exactly because... Is, it, it doesn't sound like it is even a valid sequel. No, it's not. It does nothing. It Not even not that it doesn't accomplish the things that the first one does. It doesn't even try to accomplish the things that the first one does. So it just feels cheap and exploitative, which is exactly what I thought the first one was going to be before I saw it. They're playing into the trailer for the first one, not the first movie itself. Oh, wow. And that is... It, 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 and it has no ending. It has an absolutely, completely unsatisfying ending that's just kind of, oh, well, that was a waste of time. Thank you for that. Um, well, I guess when I said, you know, did they make it for you, what I meant was, it, like, I feel Soderbergh tells honest stories mm-hmm. for people that want to have an honest story. Oh, okay. And this sounds like an exploitation movie. Yes. For, you know, male stripper exploitation. And, you know, I'm tired of men being treated like meat. I, I just had to say that. <laughs> I just, I almost took you seriously for like I a just split. Had to get I was like, that what the fuck chest. are you? T- oh, you Johnny. Ah. No, nah, but really, it's really no. That's what it is. That's I mean, it that's what like it is. A drive-in movie. It's it's a, cheap drive-in exploitation, and it it's, just happens to have two big stars, one and a half big stars. It has less big stars than the first one did. I feel right. Well, I mean, yeah. I don't know how big of a star Joe Manganiello actually is. Not as. big. <laughs> <laughs> Nowhere near as big as as Matthew McConaughey. Or Plus, Jay he was in the first Hayden, one. For that matter. Yeah. So yeah, I would. I would. Unfortunately, one of my most anticipated movies this year. I'm gonna have to say, skip it. Like, just don't don't even bother with it. I I, I think. Sorry. Just what? It's you're it's so okay. I'll I'll live. I promise. <laughs> so, I'll be okay. You're so sad. I am sad because I really wanted this to be good. Unfortunately, it is not. In terms of special features, mm, uh, there are just two featurettes. One called "The Moves of Magic Mike." Um. And another one called Georgia. And then, if you'd like, there's also an extended Malik dance scene. In the, uh, Who's Malik? He's a character, and it doesn't matter. I mean, is he a star? It doesn't. A, it doesn't matter. An extended dance scene. Does it have like a, a, a the box set has like stickers you could put on the floor? It has you pasties. Have footprints you can do. It has um, big long oblong pasty. It has uh, <laughs> ball wax. And uh, no, no, it doesn't have any of that. Ball wax. Moving on, uh, there is actually uh, another late-breaking addition to this show, Johnny Neal, but I'm pretty confident you may have seen this movie before, and that is the Diamond Edition of Disney's Aladdin. Oh, I love that movie. Disney's Aladdin, which is by far one of Disney's best movies. Yeah, One of Disney's best movies. I don't care. Animated, live action, I don't care. One of Disney's best movies. And one that really, like... Hit me right at the right time. It came out in '92, so I was about six when this right. movie. No, I was eight when this movie came out. I, I know math, um, and it just quickly became one of my favorites. Not the for no, I mean, no small part of that being, of course, Robin Williams' performance as the genie, which is just manic and lovable and and just so perfect. And I can just I can now as I watch this again imagine. The animators like furiously, like what did he say? Like trying well, to animate I around just can't him. Imagine how many hours of unused vocals ah, <laughs> they used for him. And right? that is one of the many special features ah. on Disney's 
Diamond Edition of Aladdin, which, by the way, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the picture quality here, because anytime you're talking about an animated movie um, in high def... And this was one of the very, very first elements of uh of computer stuff right there was yeah the The carpet the the cave of wonders the big tiger had the carpet yeah absolutely it was like this and um beauty and the beast had a mix of the two right exactly so yeah no i i that's that's one of the things i wanted to talk about is just how fucking beautiful absolutely gorgeous this movie looks in this edition i mean it looks like it was it looks like it was drawn yesterday, and wow. and one of the things I really actually miss about um, sort of the classic style of animation of Disney is like sometimes you could actually see a little bit of the of the pencil work, uh-huh. like every once in a while you could you could see just like the the the, the faintest shadow of where the, where the pencil had actually struck the paper to to animate those characters, and I think Aladdin was one of the first movies that really worked to eliminate that, and one of the interesting things about that. Is that when you see this movie in high definition, like the contrast levels are unbelievable because of that. Because they've actually gone into a movie that was already trying to was already dabbling in elements of um, CGI and was trying to you know kind of erase what they what they kind of looked at. I think as a a barrier or you know like a wall. A um, uh, what do you what do you call it? A uh, 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 peeking behind the curtain, sort yeah, of a, yeah. a, 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 something that ruins the magic. Um, and it just looks, it looks absolutely gorgeous. And there is a brand new 7.1, I believe, mix on the audio. So all of those amazing songs from this movie sound incredible. Yeah. The music in this is really great. Uh, oh my God. I among really their best. About it, besides the way it looks mm-hmm. is I like that people have mixed motivations. You know, yeah. there's a lot of ego and there's a lot of greed and there's a lot of, I'm really not good enough for her. Yeah. You know, like no matter what I get, I know I'm not going to be good enough for her. And that's a big thing for a movie like that, you know, and, and she's going, yeah, you are, you know, you're not just a street urchin. You don't, you, you know, I'm, I'm able to look past that. Yeah. Yeah. But your society's not, you know, I mean, there's, there's a whole lot to that, that movie that I really enjoyed. Yeah. There's, you know, there's elements of, you know, class, uh, strife. There are elements of slavery there are elements of talking parrots. Like, there's a lot of adult shit going there's on in this movie. Gilbert it's a lot of probably up. the best Gilbert Gottfried has ever been utilized in his entire Robin career. Robin Williams and Gilbert Gottfried. You know, I remember when they used to do USO shows together. Mm-hmm. No, not really. I don't no? remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll believe you pretty much anything Gottfried you tell and me. Williams on the road, like Crosby and I don't know. Hope. Hope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that that was to me that was the golden age of the Disney animation when they were before they were making Broadway musicals out of Disney cartoons mm. they were making Disney cartoons that were modeled on Broadway musicals correct like this one and Beauty and the Beast they mm-hmm. had like the big let's introduce the characters overture number like mm. a really good Broadway show would have yeah. And that was pretty new. I mean, I grew up on that stuff, and and that didn't seem to happen before. Oh, this one has that character. You know, that character in so many musicals that comes out and introduces the audience to the story that's about to be told. This movie has that character. Great storytelling. And he he comes out, and he's he's got this whole bit that he's doing, and then he, like, introduces it and and brings us into the magic of the world. So, yeah, very much like a Broadway musical. Um, So, yeah, I I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, this, this edition just really reminded me of like why I fell in love with this movie in the first place. I mean, it is just, 
it is pure Disney magic. I mean, that's that's exactly what they're going for, and I think they nail it with this one. Probably the, you know, this is like at the very top echelon of Disney animated films. I I might even say that this is their best animated film. Really? I I think I I think I would far. go that far. I think I would go out on that limb and. You know, between the voice acting, between the animation style, between the story that they're telling, and the sort of, I mean, like, you're you are culling from elements that are thousands of years old. It's uh, also very boyish. Oh, it's super boyish. You know, yeah. I mean, a lot of their other ones are very girly. Yeah, You know, Little Mermaid, true. Beauty and the Beast, and well, I can't think of any other ones. <laughs> but, but they're pretty girly, and that's okay. Don't get me wrong. Right. Disney princesses are fine. Sure. But it's kind of cool for a musical about a boy. You know, yeah. that's like... Kind of like the musical happened? version of About a Boy. Is it? I don't know. I don't know if there is or not, but <laughs> it just seemed like a natural place to, was, to throw that in there. Sometimes you can't help yourself. I can't. I you can't have like help it. like a weird Tourette syndrome thing that you just... But anyway, great movie. <laughs> I'm sure it's a wonderful production. It. I mean, this, this Blu-ray is incredible. There's a lot of special features that they poured it over from the DVD, and then there's uh, a great amount of HD bonus content. Some of it is, I will say, there is a, an, an odd assortment of hits and misses when it comes to trying to bridge generation gaps with the with the HD supplements. And by that, I mean they have like... Um, there's an actor from the Disney Channel, some guy I'd never heard of, some some kid. A disposable teenager. And he's just like talking about, you know, the, the Easter eggs in Aladdin. Um, mm-hmm. But... But one of my favorite things about this, and this is so like that was an obvious attempt to get younger audiences to like latch onto Aladdin again. It's so weird to think about that a movie from 1992 is now old enough to have audiences that are too young to remember it. Well, it's funny that you would say that because I have was wanting to ask, who did you see this movie with? My parents. You did both yeah. your parents took mm-hmm. you to this? Wow, yeah. that's cool. Because yeah. I took my son to it, and it was one that we both loved. Yeah. You know? I mean, and I took him to a lot of movies, and a lot of them I suffered through. But sure. this one, you know, we both just loved it. Yeah. And uh, so it's cool to... Well, it's a real family movie. I'm a bit of an outlier, though, because my mom is one of the biggest Disney nerds you will ever meet. Really? In your oh, my God. We had all the clamshells. There were rooms decorated and nothing but Disney. I have been like to Disney on World. her lead. Yeah, not <laughs> not ours. I mean, we were cool with it, but it wasn't us like picking oh, these things funny. out. And, and I've been to Disney World more times than I can count. Wow! You know, I once got pulled out of school for a week so we could take a family trip to Disney World. Um, so like Disney's been a huge part of my life, and, and wow. I, this is one of the biggest. That explains a lot of right stuff about you, right? And then also introduces a lot of new questions that are quite and troubling. I met your mom, and she seems like a per. Per- perfectly reasonable person. <laughs> no, I gotta say, you were in Indiana. Maybe she yeah. was cold and just. I think to she, go to yeah, Florida. yeah. She was wishing upon a star that we would move somewhere it's warmer. So cold. But one of the things I will say that I do like in the realm of the HD special features is there's a, a featurette called Genie 101, and the voice of Aladdin, Scott uh, Winder, actually sits there and explains all of the different references that Robin Williams' Genie was making. Because if wow. you remember, he's making a lot of references that, you know, as a kid, I didn't get. I didn't know who Jack Nicholson was when I was sure. eight or whatever. Like, I didn't and know. it couldn't have been scripted. No, 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 no. It's no. just like, okay, this is an idea for you to ramble on. It's him flying off the handle, and, you know, and it's great. And they do have a nice little dedication to Robin Williams at the end. So Actually, to me, it works better than watching him live do it. A little bit. Well, yeah. It was like... Because he was being reined in to a certain extent. And and there was a visual thing to where 
Because a lot of, to me, a lot of Robin Williams' humor was was I'm going to make six jokes in five seconds, and one of them you're going to connect to. Yeah. And in this, it was like you're going to have more sensory connection, <laughs> so right, they're right, all right. going to work. Yeah. You know, like you don't have to try and do the math during the the delivery. And so that's interesting. You add to that some uh, a couple. There's a really shitty. Is there any live footage of Robin Williams like, um, in the sound booth? Or there anything? is a. I don't think there's anything of him live that I remember being on this. Um, there is one with the voice of Robin Williams doing outtakes, uh, but we don't see him actually performing. It's done mostly with um, storyboards, but they are outtakes. Okay. So they've storyboarded his outtakes, which wow. is great. Um, so that that is definitely on here. There's some music videos. There's some uh, deleted scenes, deleted songs. We're going to need a bigger animation staff. Apparently, there was this entire... <laughs> I didn't know this until I, I was looking at the special features on this Blu-ray. There's an entire subplot about Aladdin's mom that got completely cut out of the movie. Wow. Aladdin's mom had like a pretty prominent role in the film and it just got cut. It just didn't Yeah. Didn't, didn't add anything to it. So this definitely is, you know, something that you need to pick up if you're a fan. Uh you know what? I'm looking around. This is going to be my pick of the week. Like by far. This is my pick of the week. So well, I would if you're say a fan by of, far because I've seen all the other ones. Yeah, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> if, you, uh, if you're a fan of Aladdin, you need to pick up this, this Diamond Edition Blu-ray. It is well worth the extra dollars. And now we come to another Disney movie that I'm not sure Johnny Neal would agree is worth all of the dollars that was spent on it or the precious dollars he spent to see it um, that I actually just got a chance to watch because I wasn't a part of the review when we talked about it this year's Tomorrowland, directed by Brad Bird. Um, Brad Bird. I want to ask you, Johnny Neal, um, yes, what did you Brian. think of the movie itself? The movie Tomorrowland, which is about uh, kind of a, a dimension-trotting adventure story about a young girl who discovers that you know there is this sort of fallen utopia in another dimension that is, is trying to save the world and trying to uh, create the perfect society. Well, the the key word that you should have left out there was story. Oh, I just I honestly sick burn. When I walked in and I saw you watching it, I thought, "Wow, that's so beautiful." And then I went, "Oh wait, I saw this movie." <laughs> like I, I honestly, it registers as nothing but about an hour, or two hours of your life. That when it's over, you're kind of pissed off for about an hour or two hours. And who is the co-writer of this film? Damon Lindelof. Oh, that you. guy's raison d'être is to piss you off at the end. Really? That is his whole... That's what... He wrote Lost. I loved Lost. And I you love the, the ending, ending of Lost. I love the ending. Johnny Neal, I don't understand you at all. I, I, I try well, very hard every week to <laughs> unravel the mystery that is Johnny Neal. Well, maybe... To excavate years, layer after layer years, after layer back, of Johnny Neal. Dead, and you'll look back and go, you know, I get it now. I don't... I don't... But that's how... If Damon, I would have been his age when I saw it, I think I would have got it. Though. Everything that Damon Lindelof has touched, for me, has ended in a big wet fart. But see, here's my thing. The director is the guy sailing the ship. That's and true. When people try to blame the writer. It's like saying that the 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 guy throwing the coal into the engine wrecked the Titanic. No, don't get me wrong. Brad Bird is a co-writer on this screenplay. I am not absolving him of, of fault. But if we're specifically talking about the point that the ending is unsatisfying, I have to suspect that that is Damon Lindelof's influence. Because for me, that has been his entire career. He did it with Prometheus. He did it with Lost. Pretty much everything that guy touches, again, ends in a big wet fart. So I will agree with you on that. What I will say <laughs> is that I think I'm... That is such a reluctant agreement. 
Well, because I think I liked this movie more than most of my colleagues did. Really? And I think part of it comes from what we were talking about before of how much I was oh. raised on Disney because the movie starts with the song from the Carousel of Progress, which I knew by heart. As soon as it kicked on, I was like, there's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every Remember day. Remember, he's nude while he's singing it's, this. Just twirling it around like a helicopter. There's <laughs> a great, my, my big, ass. beautiful tomorrow. <laughs> bountiful Brian, hey, yeah, hey. What's up, ladies? Um, <laughs> I don't think we have a lot of ladies. No, no. I, I, have, I have one very special lady, and that, that's fine for me. Um, she's not listening. She, she never listens. Good for her. Good for her for having. Yeah, my taste. wife doesn't either. She's yeah. Like, oh, you have fun, honey. Well, I mean, I'll stay here, do tax. I, I would say good for good for our our significant others for having taste, but they are with us. I so, think good for yeah. us for having significant others. There you go. There you period. go. Period. Just period. But I was I was swept up in this whole like this movie reminded it's beautiful. me. Beautiful. Well, not it's, it's it's like Mad Men on vacation. Oh my god! Exactly. It is it is Roger Sterling's view of the future. Yeah. I love that about yeah. it. I absolutely love that aesthetic. But what I got swept up in more than the spectacle was the ideology, because this is a pure Disney movie. And by that, I don't mean the company. I mean, this is a Walt Disney movie. Right. This is a movie that is uh, extrapolating every idea, every utopic, you know, some would say naive, optimistic view of the world that Walt Disney had and is distilling it into... Uh, the, a, a, a film's tone, which is exactly what we get here. And while I think that that gets oppressive at points in the film, I think it's what kept me engaged. It reminded me a lot of a film called Meet the Robinsons, which a lot of people don't even remember. Uh, it was a Disney movie from about, I want to say... I love that movie. It was great. It was yeah, five or six man, years ago. It was one of my... Um, the children's books that my son and I oh, wow. loved. Yeah, it was, it was much less than... It was just beautiful paintings. Right. And but that was a computer animated movie that had that same aesthetic of like mm -hmm. the sort of art deco explosion yeah. future, like the, the the Fritz Long future, you know, yeah, that yeah. that kind of thing. I mean that's that's exactly what Meet the Robinsons is. And Meet the Robinsons ends on a very positive note, a very right. some would say a saccharine note, perhaps, but it very hey, much at least it ends on a note. But very much still in the spirit of this sort of we're almost deifying Walt Disney at this point. And if if we are going along with that metaphor. This is the gospel, according to Walt Disney, played out in a big summer movie. And yet, it's got murder in it. And yet, that okay, I did notice that. And what what struck me about the murder in this movie is it's all public servants that are getting uh, that are getting murdered just, in this movie. It, everything about the movie was like, okay, it's kind of losing me. It's kind of losing me. And then the robots start killing people. They the, the disintegrate firemen for no reason. And it's like. What, what a minute! Wait a minute! What? But see, that's how you know they're villains is because they don't value life, and they don't. And one of the, one of the weirdest things about the story, in terms of this mythology and this ideology that I'm talking about, is that it seems like because George, George Clooney plays this character who, as a kid, discovers this other dimension and this other this this utopia called Tomorrowland. He's, he doesn't just discover it; he's recruited. For he's it. he's recruited by a little. Brilliant! He's George Clooney as a child. He's and and he's a pint-sized rocketeer. The casting of that young George Clooney was great. It the really was. The more he was on the screen, the more I was like, "Are they morphing his face a little bit?" Because his head even bobbled really... around a lot. I thought that was really <laughs> yeah, really yeah, spot on. Really, uh, kind of yeah. He was just bobbling it, and then and then a little and he banged like seven chicks, the and, and then a little tiny Steven Soderbergh comes out and goes, "Stop it!" 
And then for the rest of the movie, he doesn't do it. It's crazy. It was they cut out the part where he was dressed up as Batman. Man, we are just deep tracking all of George Clooney's career here. Um, but yeah, but George Clooney plays this character that he gets. He ends up getting banished from Tomorrowland for what appears to be. If you listen, okay, no, no I figured it out for the crime of being a pessimist, for the crime of not being wide-eyed and and just like blindly naively optimistic about the future which is exactly what it's the bill of goods this movie is selling it makes so much sense that he gets banished for being a bummer have you ever been to disney world they're not big on bummers at disney world (laughs) everything has to be the it is literally the happiest place on earth that is what it's called that is manic that is a that is that is like a drug trip you can't maintain that you, Euro Disney. I've been to Euro Disney. Which is the smokiest place which on Earth? Which is the, like, ice for your Coke? I don't think so. <laughs> it's the smuggiest place it's on very Earth. very smug. But I got to say, they put on some really beautiful shows. Yeah. But anyway. So so I understand that there are problems with it. First of all, the film is incredibly backloaded with exposition. And it makes the movie about a half an hour longer than it needs to be. Because they spend all of the time playing cleanup at the end to try and tie up all these loose ends, which they don't. They don't. Uh, which they is don't a problem. explain the physics of anything. Like, yeah. where did all the people go? <laughs> Were there any people there anyway? Was this just a hologram? I, I really, that movie just left me feeling gypped. You yeah. know, like I really feeling gypped. Like maybe you paid $9 for a popsicle hey, that then just fell I on the sidewalk. Four. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't know how my parents did it. I don't know how my parents didn't end up selling my brother and I to pay for more Disney trips. You don't remember your other brother? <laughs> I don't. I don't. That kid was gone quick. He was like, I don't, I don't like Disney. He's, he's gone. No, I, I think the movie is Brothers. really beautiful. I think it has a lot of great clever stuff at the beginning. I love the World's Fair Sure. Um, and then uh, I love the chick that's in it, the young girl. I mm. think she was great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and her, she's the girl from Under the Dome. From Under the Dome. Under the, the Dome. The one that died. And she was the lucky one that died <laughs> in Under the Dome and escaped. The fortunate ones were the ones who died yes. first. <laughs> what are you doing, The Fog? I don't know. Because I just watched The Fog. I'm it's like, so good. are you turning into John Houseman over I, there? I wish. I wish that's. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm so, with you. And then. They start killing people, <laughs> and, and it's like, why did you just kill that guy? Yeah. And it's never even explained why they made robots that would kill people in our dimension. It, it was really weird to me. And yeah. to me, it it was almost like a screw you, Disney attitude, because what's the big deal when you go to Disneyland? What is the one thing that everybody leaves with? A smile. Those lighter, little buttons. Oh, yeah. Lighter like, wallet. Everybody has some kind of a little button. They yeah. have button trading and those yeah. little closing A pins. Everybody. And that's the magic ticket. I mean, I thought, well, that's brilliant. They're going to sell a million of those at Disney World this year. And then they're killing people over them. Yeah, and, and, that's, and that's troublesome. But I think the problem there is that it is really hard for Disney the company to reconcile with Disney the man anymore. Like, I feel like that company has gotten so far away from at least the ideas that Disney espoused. Whether he really, truly believed them, probably a, a matter for debate. But uh, yeah. from the the ideas that he espoused, that company has gotten so far away from what Disney himself represented that I think it's, un, I think it's baffling to the point of unwise that they would try now after they have bought 
everyone and and like are just this enormous corporate machine to try and go back and go ah but remember the ideology of disney i'm like yeah you've spent a you've spent a good amount of time crapping all over it um so i think i think that's part of the problem inherent with okay. tomorrowland you're, is you're talking a very big philosophical picture is that wrong I should i no, not no i that? think that's great but i'm i never <laughs> thought of it that way i'm thinking the the problem with telling a story like Tomorrowland and going into the past uh-huh. to introduce the past's version of the future right. is you really got nowhere to land. Yes. You know? Once once yep. you go into the past to go into the future, you're now, you know? And if you're now, it's kind of not going to reconcile itself with a, a fake ending I, I don't know i i see i, I, I still can't even explain why i was so bothered by that movie it I, just yeah I except think, for just it being a terribly dissatisfying hokey ending I yeah just, not even just ending but act like second half well it's two hours it's like two hours and like 20 minutes or yeah. something it's it's way too long yeah and which Nobody again, left I left that movie going yay. Well, and again, I think it's like you I need to you need to sprinkle the exposition through the movie so we don't feel like we're getting a lecture at the end. And and not I, only that, but I, I don't know. This is the first Brad Bird movie that didn't fully work for me, and that makes me very sad. He he uh, he's good with actors. I'll give him that much. Oh yeah, I, I really like that young girl. Um, Britt Robin Robert Britt Robertson. Brit Ro- no, the, the the robot girl. The robot girl. Uh, the robot girl is Rafi Cassidy. Rafi Cassidy. Rafi. She was. Uh, she was pretty cool. She was very convincing as like this super robot. You yeah. Know? Like a little girl that's actually a super robot with powers and strength. Yeah. A little small wonder. Yeah. And that's small, what she was. Yeah. You're younger than me, so you get that joke. <laughs> <laughs> This Blu-ray, it's Disney, so it comes with a number of special features. Uh, yeah, because they can't sell it if they don't. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I, I still think I liked this movie more than you did, and I think I, I enjoyed the experience of this movie more than a lot of people did, but I think that is entirely because of my bias toward Disney as an ideal, but not Disney as a company. Great cast, wasted cast. There you go. Well, that was Tomorrowland, and we're going to move on now to a movie that's very much like Disney uh, and Disney's philosophy, if you think about it, and that is Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> that's not at all. It's a terrible it's segue. It's like a weird Rankin-Bass movie or something. I don't... Hey, you rank Bass on your own time, sir. Well, I'm going to let you start on this one. If you haven't seen Francis Ford Coppola's version of Dracula... um, Watch The Simpsons Holiday... Garoween episode, the Treehouse of Horror, where Mr. Burns is Dracula, because that is the entire movie in ten minutes, only better. I I'm going to say this: I am thankful um, to Sony for putting out what they what they referred to here as, um, I believe, the Ultimate Edition. I'm very thankful for them for putting this out because the special features on this did kind of enlighten me as to what Coppola was actually going for. I don't think he achieved it, but now I at least know why the movie looks the way it looks. Well, it looks kind of like a play. Yes, it's very theatrical. Uh, it is very over the top. It is like gay Halloween over the top. Oh, yeah. Um, but and it, it features one of Keanu Reeves' worst performances oh. in any film ever. Oh, yeah. With- it was almost like 
I mean, I was around when this came out. You know, you were still pretty young, I think. I I was young. I lived. I was alive. Right. I don't you know, know why I said like, it like that. I lived. It was, it was one of those like, is he gonna still be making movies? Came out the this? same year as Aladdin, so I was seeing Aladdin, and you were seeing Francis I Ford Coppola. Both. And let me you tell you, I'd have rather seen Aladdin twice. <laughs> A whole new world where I How will feast upon your year. blood. Yeah, Isn't that weird. Very weird. That's weird. Talking yeah. about Tomorrowland yesterday. <laughs> Here we are now. Thanks, Paul Harvey. <laughs> and with that, Dracula was a big weirdo. <laughs> so I'm not going to bother explaining the plot because it's Dracula. But it, it doesn't Bram even Stoker's... have a plot for a Dracula movie. It it has like the plot for the Dracula movie. <laughs> Well, it's the for, Dracula story. The morons, Dracula's. I've never actually read Dracula. <laughs> Have you? Seen, but you've seen Bela Lugosi's I've seen Dracula. Bela Lugosi, okay. and I've seen. It's almost the same story, Lee. Johnny. Neal. Yeah, but Bela Lugosi doesn't like have a big Marie Antoinette wig. Oh, don't get and, me wrong. When when he's in his coffin in dirt, he's not like sitting up with it like he's in a foxhole. I am not arguing that the aesthetics of this movie aren't ridiculous They're because so they are. Ridiculous. They very much are. Uh, but one of the things I found interesting on this Blu-ray was this extended interview with Coppola. It's a recent interview um, where he talks about what he was trying to do was basically he 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 narrowed in on the fact that the book was written in the late 1800s, right at the dawn of cinema, right at the dawn of film, and that's where he that's something he focused on for the the visual of the movie. What he's basically trying to make is a, a Georges Méliès version of Dracula, which is why there's so many weird little in-camera effects that seem really disjointed. I mean, they don't work. And part no. of the reason they don't work is because Coppola fired his special effects supervisor and hired his 20-year-old son... Roman Coppola. ...to do the effects on the movie. Right, well, Roman Coppola's gotten a lot better. I love Roman Coppola. He works with Wes Anderson. He's made one of my very favorite movies, CQ. If you've never seen that, I really recommend I have not that. seen CQ. Oh, my God, that's such a great movie. But uh, but hiring a 20-year-old kid who happens to be your son to do all the effects on a movie this size... He's made some very bad decisions regarding hiring his children. Yeah... Sophia no, Coppola should Coppola not has, be yeah. in the industry. And they've both kind of said, yeah, I don't want to work for you, Dad. I got my own stuff going on. Yeah, really let, me, let me rephrase. Sophia Coppola should not work for anyone ever. I don't like her movies. I <laughs> oh, don't think know? she's a talented filmmaker oh, whatsoever. I think she's really the terrible. bling ring can suck my bling ring. I really? hate that fucking movie. You don't like Lost in Translation? I haven't seen Lost in... I've seen all of her other really? movies except for Lost in Translation. So oh, maybe... Oh, my God. I know. That's probably the one that's going to turn me around on her. But all of that being said... That at least explained to me the visuals of this movie and why there are so many weird little herky-jerk, kind of spastic, um, again, in-camera effects because they were trying to accomplish this look of, of film as magic, like the art of film itself being a magic trick. Have you ever seen a Guy Madden movie? From He's from Winnipeg, Guy Madden. He made the saddest music in the world and uh, My Winnipeg and... He makes weird... Does he make movies that aren't about Canada? He makes very, very weird. Like, uh, his his factoid about uh, Winnipeg is that it's the sleepwalking capital of the world, per capita. I or, don't think I've ever seen a Guy, Guy Madden, Madden film. Is, uh, there's a trailer for a movie on um, 
uh, the iTunes trailers right now that's about to come out called The Forbidden Room. And he does all of that. He makes all these weird movies that are hysterically funny, tongue-in-cheek funny, with in-camera effects and, like, super-saturated colors. He does everything that Francis Ford Coppola spent a hundred zillion dollars to do mm-hmm. for about eight bucks. You know, I mean, that's... His most recent film is called Bring Me the Head of Tim Horton. This may be the most Canadian filmmaker I have ever heard of. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Maybe. He's pretty wow. great, though. Yeah. He's, he's got a very odd way of looking at the world. Because it's cold all the time. He probably goes to Disney World. And Gary Oldman has a very odd way of looking in this movie. He's got, you're right, he's got these double Marie Antoinette buns on top of his head as the older Dracula. And then when he feeds and gets young again, he looks like, I don't know, the the lead singer from Avenged Sevenfold or some other whiny goth band. It just, it's a weird assortment of choices. It's a weird assortment. Assortment of oddball choices. There's the part when Una is it Una or, or Lucy? There's a woman in a. There's one of the young girls is in a coma. Lucy. Lucy, and then yeah. like all the guys are gathered around her, and it's just like, what is this? Gone with the wind. It just everything about this movie bothered me. It just was so stupid. It that's the the word for it. It was just stupid. Well, and there's there's a there's a natural like. It's naturally problematic that you have an actor like Oldman who is just chewing on the scenery like it's made of peanut butter and doing things that are so overtly supernatural that if Keanu Reeves were a better actor, um, let me, if he were at the time, I actually think Keanu Reeves is a good actor. I do too. His performance in this is terrible. If his performance had been better, it wouldn't have looked like he was ignoring every obviously supernatural thing that was going on around him. That drove me crazy. That, like, literally, he watches Gary Oldman crawl down a wall and yeah. is like, oh, that's, like, totally weird. I, I came to bring you real estate I, I'm totally British. Yeah. What? Yeah. My favorite line was oh, when uh, the chick is getting raped by the werewolf on the picnic table, and uh, her friend runs out and goes, Lucy, it's happening again. <laughs> That was like there's yeah there's you know just this happens a lot. There's a lot that these people just accept at face value that makes it's me wonder again. what the fuck was thought, going right, on in Victorian everywhere. Here we go. And yeah. I'm like and when I I'm I'm using rape very loosely because she was asking for it from that werewolf. Lucy, Lucy. Um. Yeah. The, I think I think there are two shining things about this movie that save it from being unwatchable. The Simpsons parody. <laughs> the Simpsons parody. I I really like how much Gary Oldman is throwing himself into this and he, he's so he's so good even when this the character has clearly been directed to be way the fuck over the top and the other thing is I really like Anthony Hopkins as Van Helsing because Anthony Hopkins as Van Helsing as an actor Hopkins can't take anything anything but serious I thought he was really going to change the whole movie when he started especially when he talked about uh, how venereal disease you know, how venereal. See, I saw this movie twenty years ago, and I still remember his first scene. And he says, how, <laughs> "You just you just know a lot about venereal disease." I well, think is he what says that's because he's a doctor and he's teaching about uh, disease, and he mm-hmm. says venereal disease, and we call it that because uh, it's based on Vene- on Venus, the goddess of love. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. Where are we going to go with this concept? And this is in the AIDS years. You can't tell me that Dracula in the in the nineties would not immediately make you think. Uh, 
of AIDS allegories. Yeah. And for him to open with that line that venereal disease comes from love and then you got Dracula drinking blood and and then they go nowhere with it. They yeah. just like, okay, I want to make a modern allegory. No, I'd rather do fun camera tricks. No, I'd rather run a winery. You know, it's like <laughs> I hated this movie. I, I, I just, it bothers me. Hey, Coppola, if you like wine so much, just watch one of your daughter's movies. Hey! hey This Blu-ray has uh, some commentaries, the original trailer. Um, there's some featurettes on the effects. There's some deleted extended scenes. And, like as I was saying, a brand new interview with Francis Ford Coppola that is really, it's interesting to hear kind of what he was going for and also to think about, like, one of the things I, I completely forgot about is everybody talks about what a disaster Apocalypse Now was as a production. And everybody assumes that Coppola had trouble finding work again because he'd lost so much of the studio's money. He That was his money. Yeah. He was playing with his own money. Like, yeah, it went way over budget, way long, but it was all his money. He financed yeah, that himself. He lost a whole lot of money in his life. Yeah. That's one thing I'll, I'll give him some credit for is he has uh, not looked for the money man to sponsor him on his stuff. But Very true. Still. Very true. Good but Lord. For, I, I think that he's one of those guys who has really lived a long time off of a reputation. You know, that, he's lived. I mean, a life you, know, you got Godfather, one and two, The Conversation. That's one of my favorite. Oh, The 70s Conversation movies. is a fucking amazing one of my film. favorite seventies movies. And Rumblefish is one of my eight, favorite eighties movies. And you know what movie I really like of his that nobody talks about? Uh, one from the Heart. Do you? I really like One from the I, Heart. I. Don't dislike it, but uh, I think it was kind of like, I see what you were trying to do, but I don't see why you were trying to do it. Well, to me, that's the height of his um, zoetrope experiment. Like, that movie is almost like a a recruitment film for zoetrope. (laughs) It's like, join this this collective that we have. It's like if Roger Corman was uh, the bachelor's degree, I'm the PhD. Pretty much. Like, come join me. I just couldn't see why he went to all that trouble. You know, the budget and the trouble for that story mm-hmm. uh, with all that built. If you're unfamiliar, when he did One from the Heart, he basically rebuilt Las Vegas yeah. on a soundstage. Yes. Why you would do that when there's a real Las Vegas. Because you want to prove, and again, I'm going to go back to my theory on this, because you want to show everyone the capacity for creativity of your little com- commune that you've built. And look, we've literally rebuilt Vegas for this movie. But it doesn't come across that way. It doesn't. It doesn't have a surreal artificiality to it. See, I don't that, agree. That, that I, sort of I don't know why we're talking about one from the heart. That's not what we were talking about. Well, Dracula has its fans, I think. Well, but... I think because anytime you talk about Coppola, you can't help but defend certain parts of him. Yeah. I mean, he's a very like nobody is ever going to go. God, I hate that guy because no matter how badly he fails. When he fails, he fails spectacularly. Yeah. And when he succeeds, he shoots for the stars. You no, know? Nothing half-assed about Coppola. Nothing. And speaking of the stars, let's talk about the star-studded Blu-ray event that is Pee-wee's Christmas special. Oh, my God, I'm so excited to talk about this. <laughs> so I mentioned that Disney was a big part of my life growing up. Um, and the only thing that was uh, arguably more of an influence on me as a child than Disney was Mr. Paul Rubens as his signature character, Pee Wee Herman. Of course. I was upset. Like, I had... You put Tim Burton on the map. Right. I had uh, my own Pee Wee scooter. Ooh. I had the Playhouse playset, which actually 
one of my relatives found for me and gave to me as a Christmas gift last year. It's my original Pee Wee's Playhouse playset with a lot of the characters still there. Um, this That's guy, sweet. seriously, Pee Wee's Playhouse was such a huge part of my childhood, and we would watch Pee Wee's Christmas special every single year. And w- or at Easter, or in the middle of summer. Yeah. Or- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said every year. Maybe not at Christmas. Uh, right. Sometimes it would be a Fourth of July thing. Who knows? Um, but what I love so much about watching this as an adult is realizing how much it embraces and simultaneously mocks television Christmas specials. Oh my god! Like it is because it used to be a thing. Johnny Neal. Like I know I'm too young to remember this, but I'm also 80 years old on the inside. There used to be <laughs> this trend of singers and and celebrities having their own christmas specials that would like oh you were invited into my home yeah. it's like that's not your home that's bullshit that's did you have you ever seen the the david bowie uh being crossed oh my god little, right. have you ever seen the one with will ferrell and and uh john c Riley doing that no will ferrell is david bowie no yeah, Will Ferrell's being David Bowie, and they do it word for word, but with the attitude that you know that they really have. Like, the <laughs> they hated are you, each other. You creepy androgynous. It was so art. Guy. All of these were so artificial. It was just like, oh look who's here, my friend, whoever this oh. random cameo celebrity is. Oh, are those jingle bells I hear on the porch? It was just like it's the corniest it bullshit. Andy Williams, like, oh look, honey, the Osmonds are here, and they all wore sweaters and they're sitting by the fire. And see, I grew up in South Texas. I didn't have snow outside, and you know, or presents, and so there was. Yeah, <laughs> a presents. lot of uh, you know, it, it wasn't that. I bad, got you some so. scorpion vaccine. I had an evil, evil stunt cycle. That That's was pretty the best cool. Gift ever. That's pretty so. cool. So what Pee Wee Herman does here is he, Pee Wee's Playhouse is is hosting a special like that, and there are all of these ridiculous cameos. Just like instead of and the brilliance of this, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, sentence, please. But the brilliance of this is instead of it just being a Christmas episode of Pee Wee's Playhouse, they like. Stay in that world, but <laughs> go completely crazy with it. Yeah. You know, like Absolutely. new credits, new everything to go along with it, like as a parallel. You know, it really is a, a, a Christmas special and not just an episode of Pee Wee's Playhouse. And and they find these these great little pockets to insert the, the celebrity cameos that feel like a normal episode. Of right. Pee Wee's Blake. Exactly. So, in other words, exactly. Magic Johnson. The structure is still there. Yeah, Magic Johnson is one of the cameos, and he happens to be inside Magic Screen because uh, they're cousins. They're Magic cousins. Screen, Magic Johnson, because they're cousins. And what funny. about just kind of realizing, oh my God, Pee Wee's Playhouse was gigantic. It really was. It was across the generations. It was a cutting edge, bleeding edge, bulldozing edge Saturday morning kid show on CBS. Yeah. That it was. was and, and, Everybody wanted a part of it. But it was also a really incredibly subversive kids show. Oh, hugely. If you go back and watch that, there are so many little moments where you're like, that was a very adult joke that they just got away with because nobody's paying attention because they think it's for kids. With the the Pulaski triplets or what were their names? Del Rubio triplets. Del Rubio triplets with the oranges under their necks. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was like, (laughs) and, you know, I mean, he did crazy, kooky cabaret stuff. Paul Rubin. Yeah. His whole troupe was was insane like that. Oh, absolutely. And one of my favorite things about this, though, is like there are certain um, celebrities that he treats really well as guests, and there are certain celebrities he treats like absolute shit in this movie. 
He leaves Dinah Shore on the phone singing Dinah him a song. Shore, he's just like queen of Christmas special. And he's just like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I'm going to leave this mannequin here. And then like Annette and she just keeps going. Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello, he puts to work like slaves <laughs> making Christmas cards. Like, and they're happy to be on the show. Grace like, Jones gets shipped to him in a box. Like what? <laughs> The fucking she's weird. like nine feet tall and he's just like oh yeah it's so and it's weird like, and, it, and it's the moments when the dirty little boy that is inside peewee herman comes out is like when grace jones shows up or all those marines yeah come marching in talk about a surreal moment were they the, the marine choir or the i think it i think it was the marine choir part of and it, it. that's how the, that's how it, it opens right. it opens with them like just very somberly very uh chorally singing the song and then he's just like christmas it's just like, so yeah, like I, that's. I think that's why this works so well is because on the one hand he is putting on a classic style Christmas special, and on the other hand he's totally making fun of classic style Christmas Charo. specials. Charo's in this. Jaja Gabor. Jaja Gabor. Whoopi Goldberg, Whoopi who Goldberg. had just won an Oscar, I believe. Right? Oprah Winfrey shows she up at one point. Just won yeah. that Oscar, and he treats her like shit. That's the. That's this is so fucking funny, and it's so at the same Ray time. Jones, Magic Johnson, KD Lang, Little Richard, Joan Rivers, Dinah Shore, and Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, it is incredible <laughs> the the assortment Plus of cameos. His regulars. Yeah, you know all of his all of his regulars. Cowboy Curtis, played by Lawrence Fishburne, of course. Great Lawrence Fishburne. Um, His greatest role, <laughs> by the way. If you take the red pill, you will believe that Cowboy Curtis is my greatest role. It is his role. greatest role, baby. Well, they, anyway. It's so good. I, I, I love this because it captures that Christmas magic and does have that sort of sweet uh, undertone, but at the same time is so absurd, so funny, so subversive, so... It just doesn't take itself seriously for a second. And Christmas is weird anyway. Yes, and, it, know, and like it exemplifies that. Everybody's trying to put on a fake thing. Yeah. And nothing could be faker than Pee-wee's world. <laughs> it's all on a table somewhere. That's true. And he, <laughs> he makes it, get, gives it more real feeling of, I don't want to deal with you. You know, you're my weird aunt that shows up every Christmas and talks too much. Not yeah. Sure. I don't, I don't want to <laughs> talk to you and... You know, this is my house. This is my playhouse. Yeah. Why are, what are all you people doing here? I want to I crawl up and down Grace Jones' leg. <laughs> Which I'm sure he would love to do. Well, we're going to run through the rest of these titles because not a lot left. It's good, Johnny oh, Neal. We are, we are, did you make it through all of them? We, we are running through the dregs. Some of them I made it through. Some of them you made it through. Okay. Uh, we're going to kind of run through. And, and the first one we're going to talk about is a movie called <gasps> Air. Otherwise known as... I wish the apocalypse would happen faster. Otherwise known as another Simpsons episode. This the one when uh, Homer and Mr. Burns were trapped in that cabin together. Apparently every movie we talk about this week has a Simpsons episode. Not, all, not every week, but this week there were a lot of like... It, I saw this it, episode... It has a Simpsons antecedent, I yes, guess is what yes. I'm trying to say. Yes. Um, so course, Air, it's only been on 40 years or something. Simpsons did it! <laughs> Simpsons did it! Yeah, they, they do everything. This is actually a 2015 film starring Jaman Hansu, which, by the way, is how you pronounce his fucking yeah, name. Yeah, right? You saw that in the extras. I, I did. Yeah. And Norman Reedus, who, of course, has gained tremendous popularity on the show Walking Dead, who I will always remember as one of the McManus brothers from Boondock Saints. Well, you know why they like him so much? is Because in, in he can't keep his hair out of his fucking face? He does his own hair and makeup. He just, he, I'm like, he just saves a lot of money on... You, on uh, on uh, makeup crews. Well, you can tell he just wandered over from the Walking Dead set because yeah. it's like you still have zombie brains. And can, can I just pl- come here? Just let me get it out. Like it's so annoying. You, it's like 
you're not going to take a shower before you go back into that no. sleeping pit there. You know? So this this movie is we have you know the thing that bugged me the most about this film is I have seen a movie almost exactly like it. I'm trying to remember. It was about a fest- fifty movies. Well, no, exactly no, almost like exactly like this. Premise. It was a fest. No, the same premise. It was a festival movie from a few years ago. I, not the day because that was the one with one of the guys from Lost. This was. Can we say, I'll just, while you're thinking about it, I'll yeah. just lay it out. Yeah, please. These please, are please. two guys that are, uh, basically, they're maintenance guys. Mm-hmm. and They're uh, wallies. They're wallies. The, the apocalypse has happened, and they're just running <laughs> shit. Were, uh, I, I had thinking you were being Australian for... No, no, no. They're, they're, they're like the robots. The Australian guys who sleep a lot. That, uh, that robot that Wally what is, Wally that's is, what but, these guys are. Yeah, but everybody else is asleep. Like, okay, the premise is, you know how they have the seed banks where if the world melts and all, all the plants die later on, some future civilization can replant everything. Oh, that's what a seed bank is. That's what, yeah. There's. Like, I thought there was just a place you go and you jerk off in a cup and they give you like 20 bucks. Is that not a seed bank? Uh, not... Different type of seed, perhaps. Okay, all right, fair enough. Eight fifty. Fair enough. Eight fifty in Coles bucks. Eight fifty in Coles bucks. That is horrifying. Please continue. Tell us more about air, Johnny Neal. And oddly enough, it's it's part of the Coles. No, 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 no. Uh, I so, just said to keep so going. These two, these two guys, um, they get up and uh, I, it, I don't know, was it every six months or something? They right. get up. They're they're awakened from their they're plastic sleeping, wrap sleep. They're sleeping in very cheesy. Uh, you they're know, vacuum sealed. <laughs> for freshness. Sealed. <laughs> it's and, not cryogenics. They're just vacuum sealed. Everything is is uh, super cheesy, <laughs> like behind the Radio Shack dumpster parts. Yeah, picked up and bolted to the wall for. Uh, they they did that to make it look like ah oh, we had to do this real fast. The air outside is so contaminated that everybody is dead except for these people, like scientists and whatever. The people that will make a new world uh, if they're brought back out after. The air has cleared. It's really like you you really got to go way, way down the block to buy into the premise, for one thing, that uh, that, that we have cryo- cryogenic sleeping people. Which, again, is really more like a vacuum sealer than a cryogenic <laughs> chamber. <laughs> Which I'm like, that should kill you. I'm pretty sure my mom said not to sleep with a plastic bag over your face. Yeah. But they do it. And I got to say this. It is not surprising to me that Norman Reedus is in this, nor that Robert Kirkman is a producer, because this movie meanders like a fucking zombie all the way to the end. Well, that's the whole thing, is that it doesn't matter what we explain. It's a paranoia story between two guys in a hole. It's the worst possible outcome of a bottle episode of any TV show. With only two people, and you know that nobody's going to. You expect nobody's going to survive, but spoiler, somebody does. And yet. Somebody grows a beard, but not the hair on their head while they're asleep. That's not to spoil, not to give it away. I don't think you gave but anything. But when he woke away. up the first time, he didn't have a beard, and the next time he wakes up, when we zoom forward, he has a full beard, but his the hair, hair is, the is same still length. gone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is kind of weird to me. Like it makes it makes that's no some sense. continuity. This this know. whole movie feels like they made it up as they shot it. Yeah. It doesn't feel solidified. There's a line of dialogue right near the beginning that as soon as you hear it, you're going to be like, oh, God, it's going to be that kind of story. Like, it they, they just sums it up. And the, the, I'll tell you exactly what the line is, and I'm sorry if I'm spoiling it, but it was, did you tell him about us? And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> you are responsible for the entire human race, and the 
first thing you do is you create a love triangle. Fuck you. <laughs> I hate you. I hate all. You're the self most selfish people left on the planet. I fucking hate you. And you know why is he so weirded out? I, I mean, don't know. I mean, why is it's just stupid? Like he get like uh, Jam- Jamon. 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 Jamon Hansu. He was named by Michael Jackson's dancing. Jamon. Yeah, and he uh, he goes outside to another silo, and he gets locked out by Norman Reedus because he just looks like the kind of guy that would lock a black guy out of his. I, it's super racist, and bro. He's super racist. He, he's coming back, and he can't get in. And Norman Reedus is like, "Hey, I got the gun." <laughs> so he walks five feet over and climbs in through an air shaft, and I'm like, "Really? That air shaft was there the whole time? How secure is this place supposed to be?" Yeah. It's just really a dumb, bad movie. You know what, though? It is a fucking Oscar-caliber movie next to the film we're going to talk about next that you didn't get a chance to see. You know what? No, 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 no. You opted not to watch because you are a smart person, and that is Tremors 5 Bloodlines. <laughs> Let me tell you a little something. I love ridiculous franchises. Oh, yeah. I love it when movies that shouldn't have a sequel have multiple sequels. Right. And I love it even more when, even though they are clearly just attempts to make money, they are clearly cash grabs. When the when the franchises try to have a cohesive narrative or a shared universe or do something that they really don't have to do, but they're going for it anyway. That's why I love the Fast and the Furious movies. Mm-hmm. That's why I love the Step Up movies. And that's why I even love the sequels to Death Race, the Jason Statham remake of Death Race 2000, because ah. those movies actually chronologically try and connect in they, this ridiculous way that they don't have to do, it. but they're, they're trying. trying. This is not trying at all. Oh. Tremors 5 isn't, it doesn't give a fuck. And let's, let's just both, I'm sure we both agree, Tremors is a fucking great movie. It is a great movie. It is a great I've heard the second one's Where good. did this movie come from with all of these great stars Popping up in the middle of a field. I mean, yeah. the movie cost seven dollars, <laughs> less than eight fifty in Cole's bucks to make. Yeah, this movie and and it works less than one cup of Johnny Neal seed <laughs> to make that movie, and it is great. It is legitimately great. It is, and they have. I will say this: I haven't seen any of the sequels to this. I haven't either. And there is a there is a thing at the beginning of this one where they kind of explain the evolution of the Graboid, which I think is actually an explanation of all the sequels, because I think each successive sequel introduced a new version of the Graboid, like another stage of its oh. of its like process. So apparently it like... That's just got an infinite amount of life in it. Well, not really, because then they <laughs> connect it back in a circle. It's like, well, you got four. You got four stages. Why are there five movies? And nothing will make you ask that question more than actually watching the fifth movie, which stars... Um, which stars, of course, Michael Gross from the original Tremors. And now, how many of these has he done? Uh, I think all of them. I think he's the guy who is like, you think he, you like he is the he is to this franchise what Jason Biggs is to American Pie. He sits at home praying to God that they make another one so that he can eat that but month. He gets a lot of work. I Does mean, he? Yeah, I mean, he should. Well, then what the fuck lot. is he doing in these movies? And that's what I'm asking. I don't know the answer to that question. It I makes me sad. I don't I think, think he knows either. He made a deal with Satan. That that could very well be. But this time Michael Gross is paired up with Jamie fucking Kennedy. <laughs> Jamie Jamie Kennedy, who every time he's on screen in this movie, I wish I could watch that scene in Scream 2 where Randy gets stabbed to death over and over and over again because I can't 
fucking stand this asshole, and he has no charisma whatsoever. Yeah, he really doesn't. And what I'm, I'm, the bullshit plot of this movie is that they discover that there are graboids in Africa. This is Ernest Goes to Africa, except possibly, if you can believe this, slightly more offensive than Ernest Goes to Africa. They didn't have a dentist they could send over there I to know. shoot these things? Right. I would rather watch Shaft in Africa because that's actually Shaft in Africa is fucking good. awesome. It's good. I would rather watch that than half so, the movies in this stack. So they explain at the beginning of this movie, you know, Michael Michael Gross's character is basically making uh, survival videos and selling survival products, which makes sense because that's his character. Um, and they explain that like the graboid worm bursts forward these like little like running tiny little graboid things, and then that in turn. Um, somehow gives birth to a flying version that farts fire and it's like as soon as they introduce that i'm like oh you're actually what you're doing is creating a timeline so i can see exactly where your franchise went off the rails and it's farting flying fire monster uh and then it's like and then that lays eggs and it starts all over again so they discover that this is happening in africa and what follows is that was nice of them to give you a timeline yeah visual. thank thank goodness i am now caught up um, so what happens is they go over there and it becomes a very standard monster movie with very, they're not terrible CGI effects, but there's just, I don't know, man. It's like the original had such great practical well, effects. The thing is, is that the original was great because the cast was so great. Yeah, exactly. They all related exactly. to each other. They really felt like a small town, like a, like a Northern exposure type community where everybody was out there for their own weird reason. And you didn't even have to know what their weird reason for yeah. being an isolationist was, you know? Yeah. And it was Kevin Bacon and Reba McIntyre and Michael Gross. And Remo Williams himself. And Remo Williams himself. Yeah. And all, so all these great character actors in a movie together Oh, not to mention, um, oh god, I'm, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name from Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, the the Asian guy from Big Trouble uh, in Little Jane China. Tong? I just realized that I said the Asian guy from Big Trouble in Little China, yeah, which narrowed, really it, narrowed down. it down. Yeah, sorry about that. Was it Kurt Russell? It was. It was Kurt Russell. <laughs> That's who I was thinking. <laughs> I was thinking <laughs> of Kurt Russell. Was it, was you know, it, I was thinking of Joseph Gordon-Levitt, the little Chinese girl from Third Rock from the Sun. <laughs> Um, which is a joke I make all the time, and it never ceases to entertain me. I've never heard you make that joke. Victor Wong is who I was thinking who, of. Victor Wong, Victor Wong who plays Egg that. Shin in Big Trouble in Little China, the tour bus driver. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. God, See, I'm, so... I'm talking a lot about Tremors because I don't want to fucking talk about Tremors well, 5 Bloodline. Because it's, you know, I think it's because it's the kind of movie that you, you can't help but have a little bit of an emotional connection to. It's so fucking good. The original it is fucking good. nothing of you exactly. and it so much. Exactly. I can tell by looking at the cover of this that it's begging me for something. Oh. It's I, begging me for 90 minutes of my time. And I'll tell you, I didn't make it 90 minutes. I made it about an hour to a scene where Michael Gross is locked in a cage and a lion pisses on him. For no reason, oh. which I guess was supposed to pass for comedy. And I went, you know what? You have literally given me nothing to enjoy about this film. You've given me everything to abjectly hate about this film. So I, I turned it. Don't waste your fucking time. I don't care if you're a completionist. Don't fucking watch this. I have a couple of friends who have seen all the Tremors movies. And even I would tell them, don't, don't bother. Don't waste your time. It's only going to make you angry. So instead, let's talk about a film that Johnny Neal saw that I actually didn't get a chance to. And that is Ardor? Ardor. Ardor. Okay. Ardor. You know, I thought that I had... Uh, we've been talking about The Simpsons and how they've done everything. And yes. I um, discovered 
just that I was a week late in, uh, I, I want to start my own website called go fund yourself because I hate when people ask me for money online to, for their dreams or their political aspirations. So, uh, when the go fund me, I just want to direct them to go fund yourself. Our door. Okay. Let me tell you, I got a major male crush on Gail Garcia Bernal. Oh, he's great. I think he is just God's gift to the world. I was introduced he, to him in college in a film called Spanish apartment. Uh, which is absolutely fantastic comedy. You should check it out. You'd he's love it. So great, exactly. He's he's funny. He's serious. He's he's like the most beautiful every man that there could possibly right. be, and doesn't take himself seriously in any way. Uh, seemingly, he's on a show that is my favorite of all the subscription service shows called Mozart in the Jungle on Amazon Prime. Damn, it's my favorite of all of the subscription series that have come out through like Hulu and all and Amazon Prime and uh, Netflix's uh, own productions. Uh, I, I really recommend that show. He's in it. He plays a, a conductor of the New York Philharmonic. It's brilliant. Went into this thinking, I'm going to be so all over this movie. I saw the trailer on Apple Tunes, Apple iTunes online. On Apple Tunes, sure. And I thought it was going to be great. This movie has no fucking idea what it's doing no that sucks it's filmed in uh the rainforest there it it keeps changing the conflict and the story like the gail garcia bernal it first there's a proverb of the people that live in the rainforest that says uh something about how when they would pray to the river the river would send beings like not people in boats <laughs> But it would send like river beings, like river spirits to mm -hmm. help them. So then, bloop, you see somebody's head pop up. And, you know, it turns out to be Gail Garcia Bernal. And these guys are coming to do clean cutting of the, of the forest, buying a, a, they get you to sell them their land, your land, sign the paper. And then they kill you with a machete and steal your wife or daughter. Which makes one wonder why waste the money and time on the paperwork exactly if you're just going to kill and pillage and and then it turns into like so the three guys who do that who are the bad guys then within them there's one of those guys is like the the pansy brother who hasn't killed a man yet it's just it's so bizarre <laughs> it just keeps going in its own circle and then it turns out that uh Gail Garcia Bernal is not like a river spirit. He just swam downstream, and when he got out, he knew that they needed help. And he's not a whole lot of help. It's just weird, but what bothers me the most is that when the screen goes black at the end, and when he leaves, mm -hmm. when his job is done and he leaves, and he faces the jaguar in the jungle, and the jaguar looks at him, and they kind of wink at each other like, yes. Stay thirsty, my friend. <laughs> then, then, they, then the screen goes black, it pops up with like get active ardor.com or something I'm like man go fund yourself you're like i thought i was watching <laughs> i ain't fucking watching a goddamn hour and a half i thought i was watching a film not a call to action not a goddamn go fund me pitch it was like you got to be kidding me so yeah i wouldn't recommend this movie <laughs> Well, I, I respect your opinion, and I probably won't waste my time on it, but part of me wants to, based on your description alone, of why it's not good. <laughs> that being said, I would like to move on to the documentary. or one of Actually, we're going to close on a couple of documentaries, I believe. 
Uh, is Chasing the Muse a documentary? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're going to close on a couple documentaries. But did first, you watch it? I didn't. But first, we're going to talk about Bat Kid Begins. Now, I don't need to tell you who Bat Kid is because. Is it Joseph Gordon Levitt? It's not Joseph Gordon Levitt. <laughs> Uh, Bad kid, I'm gonna. It's is a, a make a wish, uh, a small boy with cancer, uh, named Miles. Who um, the city of San Francisco and the Make a Wish Foundation got together, and they basically turned the city into Gotham for a day and let him run away, run around with a, an adult in a Batman suit, and they both like fought bad guys and solved crimes. It's a very sweet story. That being said, I've been hearing about this sweet story over and over and over and over again. To the point that it's it's like, okay, I, I get it, it's sweet, it's very moving, but you're kind of playing it to death. And I hate to say use that expression, yeah, we're yeah. talking about a terminal child, but um, this was featured, this story was featured in a documentary we covered about a year ago about Batman himself, and it was a very sweet little segment of that documentary. And then you hear, oh, they're going to make a movie, like an actual feature film about Bat-Kid, which doesn't make a lot of sense, but they're going to do it fine, whatever. So between those two things, we get Bat Kid Begins, which is basically the documentary excising that part of the other documentary and then ex- expounding upon it and and just taking that one segment of a Batman documentary, making a whole documentary about that. Uh, it is it's fairly well made. Um, it's not terribly edited. It's a very I feel like a very ordinary film that is resting upon the laurels of the pre-established emotional connection that everyone is going to have with this story. Sure. And to me, that's a little manipulative. Yeah. And so it, it, you know, while I was moved by some of it, well, it I... just felt, and, and not only that, but this is, this is a, a documentary put out by Warner brothers and new line. And the menu screen looks like it was authored by a 12 year old. <laughs> like, it's like, uh, do you want to do word. you want to select English, Spanish, or play? Are your options? I'm like, wait. If I select English, will it not play in? Eng- wait, I don't understand. Wait, S- wait, huh? Like, it's the most confusing, lazy. And I know this is a weird thing to complain about, but it's like you have two major studios behind this documentary that doesn't need to be made in the first place because we one have seen it in the other documentary, and two have YouTube. So can right. get the full story on this, and well, three because they're making a fucking feature about him. And we have Facebook, and we saw this story even if we didn't want to. Exactly. Because exactly. Everybody posted it. I mean, I, and I, you know, my questions to you. Okay, go for it. Having seen it, is what's the point of it? Is it trying to get money for Make a Wish, or is it specifically about this kid? There, there is to me, and this is why I. I have a lot of dislike for this documentary. It feels like the studio trying to cash in on it. And by that, I mean, they literally are giving you the information that you already have. They are playing it up for as much emotional connection as they possibly can squeeze out of it. But they clearly didn't spend any money on this because it's on DVD. It's not on Blu-ray. It's slapped together. And that's being generous. It's being like generous to say this thing is slapped together. And like right down again to the authoring of the DVD. Um, it's just like it just feels manipulative and exploitative. Like that's that's what I that's what I feel like. And it, it that's not what this story should be. This should be a story that continues to move us, but they just they're just beating this into the ground. I get really put out with the whole uh let's pick one sick kid and make his day. Yeah. There's gonna be there's gotta be a whole hospital full of other sick kids going, Hey, I like Batman. 
You know? And they, they kind of touch <laughs> like, upon that. You kind of are spending a whole lot on him instead of a little bit on a lot of people. One thing you know? they do touch on, I think, at their own to their own detriment, is that there have been bad kids before. The other cities have done this. Oh, that's funny. Not to this extent, but have done this before, and it's like. I think, I just well think then, why are you? Kids. Why is this guy getting three movies about it? it it's it's very touchy to to say. Don't touch the kids, Jimmy. Like, um, you know, well, whatever, man. I'm sorry that the sick the kid is sick, uh, you know, but don't congratulate yourself for being concerned about it. Yeah, you know, and that's what this reeks of to me. Yeah. Um, have you, I'm sure you've seen that thing when Robert Downey Jr. gives the bionic arm to that kid. Yeah. And and Robert Downey Jr. God bless him, he <laughs> standing there like all Tony Starked out. And he's got his suit and his glasses, and they're in a hotel room. And he's got the briefcase, and the kid he gives him a prosthetic arm, and he's like, and the kid's just kind of like, okay, a prosthetic arm, cool. I get a new prosthetic arm. Yeah. I've got a real life to deal with here, movie star. You know, he's a little kid who's so much more well grounded because when the guy when fucking Robert Downey goes. Do you know who I am? Like you're not playing long enough. Yeah, is what I heard him say. <laughs> and he said, "Do you know? Do you know my name?" And he goes, "He said it as if he wanted a better table at Spago." Yeah, he said, "Do you he, know who I am?" He said it like you're not. I've, I'm fucking taking. I'm writing. The, I'm not going to get a big tax write off for these hours that I'm dedicating to this if you don't pay it, play into it. Right. He goes, "Do you know my name?" And I know that he meant. You, you, you want know, you're supposed do, to say do, Iron do, Man, do, do, do. you know. You're supposed to say Tony Stark, and he yeah. goes, "Yeah," and he, like, "Yeah," and, Rob, and he goes, "Robert, <laughs> like, what the fuck?" World? I live in a real world with one arm. I have one arm. Fuck you. It's just so like, and and he kind of laughs at himself about it, like, "Fuck." <laughs> He, I mean, it's like, you know, I, I just hate when people want to pat themselves on the back for doing a good deed. Be fucking anonymous, millionaire. You know what the kid should have said is like, oh, are you patting yourself on the back? I can't do that because I don't have a fucking arm. Use this. Just whack yourself all over. With, it's just like, how much did you spend on this arm that you could have spent like six arms for other kids? You know, it's just yeah. like, and, and guess what? I know that you're basically making a commercial for your big fucking movie. Yeah. You know, that's what it's still going to boil down to. Sure. And I, I hate to be cynical. And no, you don't. Of, None I, of us do. I really do for my own soul. <laughs> I hate to be cynical like that. Sure. Uh, but at the same time, I'm glad that I'm not snowed by the fucking propaganda machine that is Hollywood when it comes to shit like this. I'm going to say that this movie, Bad Kid Begins, didn't, I didn't have that reaction to, but I want to thank you <laughs> for going into that because that was one of the funniest rants I have heard from you yet on this show, and I appreciate that so much. Oh, anytime. Well, we're going to close up the show with... Now we're uh, going to talk about sex trafficking. Now we're going to talk about... a couple of things to say. How Batman stops sex traffickers. <laughs> no, actually... Chasing the Muse is the did, last film we're going to Did you watch talk. this? I did not. Actually, I really enjoyed this movie. All right, tell us I about... I you're going to say, oh, yeah, you dirty old man. Uh, well, I, what yeah, I liked about literally this the next movie, words out of my this mouth. was a very clear-eyed... Uh, Full-hearted. No victims can't here losing. look at the sex trade in, in Europe. Mm -hmm. Um I'm not at all saying that there are not bad sides to the sex industry. I am not at all saying that. But what I am saying is that not all of the sex industry is corrupt and 
and run by a mob somewhere. That there is a lot of of uh, that there are a lot of people that are taking ownership of themselves and making a buck at the oldest profession in the world. Now, Johnny Neal, what I know about sex trafficking from the movies tells me that there were probably a lot of shipping containers in this film yes no this well that's, what he's no shipping containers full of women no they're hotels oh. none of these women look like uh uh none of them look like junkies you know yeah. none of them look like property they there are a lot of uh, uh tramp stamps going on hmm. um it's it says on the box okay the movie okay here's what it's by a french filmmaker who kind of made his name in the 70s by doing a documentary uh, about a porn, a French porn star, which is basically about a French movie star because it's the seventies in France. And yeah. If you're a chick, you pretty much did whatever you wanted. Yeah. Um, and that's on this as well. And I tried to watch it. And it was really kind of boring. Okay. Who would have thought a very explicit documentary about French porn in the seventies would be boring, but it really was kind of like, whatever, man, it's not. Well, you have that cast whatever. on your hand. So it was probably very frustrating <laughs> to watch. So this guy's name is Jean-Francois Davy, And it says it is from, uh, the LA cult.com or TLA cult.com, a savagely sexual documentary that bridges the gap between art and porn. Now here's the thing. It's very explicit, uh, Full frontal with that light pixelation. Uh, so, like, yeah. there's no alimentary canal on view. <laughs> so, even though there's sex <laughs> happening, it's all cropped. There's <laughs> everything is smudged. Thank God for small favors. Everything is smudged a little bit. So, you do see this big pot bellied guy who is either uh, uh, a very gone to seed 50 year old or a very well preserved 60 year old. <laughs> Okay. Because right. he's got, like, uh, he even says, uh, I am like the beast and she is the beauty. But uh, the thing is, women don't want pretty men. <laughs> women want men. Women want men who are not women. And it was like, uh, fuck yeah. That seems like a very self-serving ideology. Just from my perspective, he has a whole lot of, okay, here's the thing. The whole movie is basically him road tripping around to different legal prostitution uh, and and uh, porno sites in East Europe, Eastern Europe, and uh, Paris. That's how bad things are in Europe: is that you actually have to go to a site, as in a location. When you say a porn site, you mean an actual location, not a website. Well, like uh, people that porn stars that are talking that are very self empowered. You know, mm -hmm. uh, maybe I'm just to giving in my in my uh, expectations of what adults are allowed to do you mm -hmm. know i don't have a moral judgment on people making money in the sex trade is my point yeah uh or people spending money in the sex trade for that matter um so the thing is is in this movie throughout his trips talking to these different women as he gives these really great goddamn i wish i had written them all down he gives these really great quotes from from philosophers mm -hmm. about like uh we used to live in the age of enlightenment and we seem to be approaching the age of turning off the lights ah <laughs> like why prophetic do people, why do people have to be so hung up on sex you know why can't it just be an exchange you know be it a financial uh an emotional why can't it just be let's he approaches it uh of being in a of, of pursuing sexual satisfaction gratification whatever as i got what you want and you got what i want and we're both going to be fine with this like he wants to kiss this one chick and she's like nope 
I don't do that. He wants to have uh, a three-way with two girls. And this chick's like, not my thing. I don't do two. I don't do girls. I'm not into girls. And it just keeps cutting to stuff like of them going, that's not part of the bargain. You yeah. know, which I think is pretty brilliant to put in a documentary because instead you get these documentaries like uh, Hot Girls Wanted, where everybody's a victim. You yeah. know, this billion, multi-billion dollar industry in the U.S. alone, everybody in it's a victim. Really, that's <laughs> that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I enjoyed it. Uh, at the end, he ends up hooking up with this chick. They fall in love. Maybe not. I don't know. I was along for the ride. I wasn't putting myself in his shoes or hers. But it's just like, wow, I didn't expect this to happen. You know, like he yeah. meets this one chick and, you know, it's it's him and another guy with a video camera. It Again, it's, it's you could say it's crude, whatever. It's It provides a lot of stuff to think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's a very grown up approach to the sex trade no hysteria no uh no preaching of anything except freedom of choice and freedom of commerce and i enjoyed that just for that sake well put well put johnny neal well i might check this out this sounds interesting for sure you'll say god that guy's so fucking ugly how did he watch this (laughs) (laughs) not sure that would be my first reaction no it's and, and again uh it looks like it's going to be super explicit triple X kind of stuff. And then they just smudge over. And then Vin Diesel doesn't without, even show up without so. like the big, like pixelation. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, like, like it's Rubik's a cops Cube episode. Pixelation. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, wait a minute. You're like cleaning your glasses off. What? What? Just to mess with your head. And speaking of messing with people's heads, we're going to move on to our giveaway. Can I, can I just add one? Oh thing? yeah. I feel this movie is so much more honest than Bat Kid Begins. Oh, there you have it. <laughs> so there you go. There you have it. Um, so our giveaway this week is a, a testament to the professionalism that we exemplify every week here at oneofus.net. And by that, I mean, it's a movie we didn't talk about and that is going to be reviewed on a different episode of Digital Noise. <laughs> However, this week's giveaway... This is the, the holiday season. And it is. Get, start getting... We're... we're we're springing forward three weeks. That's true. <laughs> with our giveaway. And uh, we have a Chinese film for you called Black Coal Thin Ice. Now, this is a movie about an ex-cop and his ex-partner who decide to follow up an investigation on a series of murders that ended their careers and shamed them. That is a fucking great title. It's Black that, Coal Thin Ice. That sounds like a MacGruber movie. Uh, it's by uh, Ryan Hu. Uh, is, I, I don't know how to speak Black Chinese. Black Coal Thin Ice. But um, this is a film. I know nothing about it, uh, but that I will say that premise sounds pretty fucking cool. Like two cops who used to, you know, they they basically their careers were ended by this series of killings. They start up again, so even though they're not on the force anymore, they team up to try and solve the mystery. Got what it. country is it from? It China. Oh, yeah, it's, it's it's definitely Chinese. Um, so yeah, that's our giveaway. Uh, if you would like to win a copy, <laughs> I love Asian movies with weird titles like "A Cult Is My Passport." Oh my god, that's the fucking greatest title in the world, starring Joe Shishido. No, Joe Shishido. Oh my god, "A Cult Is My Passport" is such a great movie. But that's not the movie we're giving away. We're gonna get off topic. <laughs> Black Colt Thin Ice. If you would like to win yourself a copy of it, first thing you're gonna do is follow us on Twitter at one of us net and then you're going to tweet at us with the answer to the hypothetical and the hypothetical is also about titles and i want you guys to come up with the title of a documentary about johnny neal and i recording these episodes 
of digital noise. So give me your best documentary title. And again, the documentary is about Johnny, Neil, and I recording these episodes of Digital Noise. Tell us what the title of that doc's going to be. Hashtag that Thin Ice giveaway. We'll pick our favorite, and that person will win a copy of Black Cool Thin Ice. And you have a choice of going pre-nude podcasting or post, you know... Digital Noise or Digital Pre-Playboy decision, post-Playboy decision. Wink. Well, guys, that's going to do it for our show this week. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to remind you yet again, you can find these episodes on iTunes as well as on Stitcher. You can follow us on Twitter at OneOfUsNet, at DigiNoiseCast. I'm at Guy Salisbury. And I'm Johnny Neal, still amazed that he is not reading that off of a card anywhere. Yeah, this is what I do, I guess. You can also like the website on Facebook, facebook.com slash OneOfUsNet. Uh, yeah, uh, please do consider becoming a subscriber. That is how we keep the lights on. Uh, if you could do that, we would very much appreciate it. Short of that, just tell your friends about us. Tell us what you... Tell us... Tell them everything you like about us tell them how great we are uh, you know espouse all of hate our merits watch us if you want hate hate listen hate listen if you want do it stab yourself in the ears while you listen i don't care just just listen and download and do all of those great things be effusive with your praise and if we don't see you before then happy halloween and everybody. happy halloween oh my god my favorite holiday of all time so yes until next time i'm going to end the, the show the way i always do reminding you that no release is too big no release is too small from criterion to catastrophe to sex trafficking documentaries we review them all 